Several years ago, as we would go to our time in the Word, we would begin with an affirmation that we repeated. And I want us to start that again. And this affirmation comes straight from our belief statement, our belief statement on the Word of God. So if you have your Bible, I want you to hold it up like this. If you don't have a Bible, I want to encourage you, if you've got one at home, to start bringing it with you because we're spending our time during this time of our service in the Word of God. We're not looking at Reader's Digest. We're not commentating on Fox News or CNN or anything else. We're going to God's Word to find truth. So hold your Bible up and repeat after me. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is our supreme source for what we believe and how we live. Now say amen. And open up your Bible to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We're going to be looking at chapter 5 and some of chapter 6 this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Money is what makes the world go round. Without money, governments would shut down. Without money, businesses would close. People would default on their loans. They would lose their homes. They would lose their cars. They would lose anything that that they had a loan on. And on top of that, without money, people would not have the funds to buy the food they need and all the other necessities of life. Without money, the world would come to a screeching halt. And because of that, we have come to believe that money is the cure-all to every problem in life. That more money equals more happiness. More money equals more Security, more money equals more peace, more money equals more everything. But Solomon tells us that isn't true. Solomon tells us that more money without Jesus equals nothing. And so, in the passage that we're going to look at today, I want you to see that Solomon begins by correcting some false ideas that we have in regard to money. And then I want to share with you some truths that Solomon tells us about how we should look at our money. Now, first of all, I want to share with you seven truths that Solomon gives us in this passage about money. Here's truth number one. Money corrupts. Let me say that again. Money corrupts. Listen to what he says in chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. He says, don't be surprised if you see a poor person being oppressed by the powerful, and if justice is being miscarried throughout the land. For every official is under orders from higher up, and matters of justice get lost in red tape and bureaucracy. And then he says this, even the king milks the land for his own profit. Now notice how Solomon begins, don't be surprised. What I'm about to say to you shouldn't take you by surprise. And then he says there is oppression and there is corruption throughout the land. Now we talked about this two weeks ago as we opened up another passage in Ecclesiastes. Oppression and corruption were a part of Solomon's day. 
and corruption and oppression are a part of our day. And understand the primary reason for these things aren't racism or any other ism. The primary reason for, for oppression, the primary read for corruption is greed. We are greedy people. Notice what he said in verse 9. He said, even the king milks the land for his own profit. Solomon says everyone from the top down is working the system to put more money in their pockets. We see this every day with politicians. Politicians go to Washington with little, and after several years they come home with a lot. We see this in business with CEOs. CEOs who run companies are, are making million-dollar salaries, while the people who are producing the products that are sold are barely getting by. What Solomon says is that the wealthy take advantage of the poor so that they can become more wealthy. And we see that every day in life. There's a saying that money corrupts. An absolute, or power corrupts. An absolute power corrupts absolutely. But I believe it's also true in regard to money. Money corrupts, and more money brings more corruption. That's why it's important for you and I who are Christ followers to learn the secret of giving. Because the only way you and I can defend ourselves against greed taking over is to become giving people. So money corrupts. The second truth Solomon teaches is that more is never enough. We have this idea that if we make a little bit more, then everything will be okay. Just a little bit more. That's what a CNBC poll found several years ago. They discovered that 81% of Americans believe they need a little bit more money. 81% of us believe I need just a little bit more money. The problem is that little bit always increases. Regardless of how much we have, we always need just a little bit more. There was a study done several years ago that revealed that the typical person, regardless of their income, regardless of how much they made, said that they needed twice as much as they were presently making to live comfortably, to live the way that they wanted to live. Twice as much, regardless of how much they made. No matter what you make, you're going to want to make more. No matter what you have, you're going to want to have more. That's human nature. That's our fallen nature. That's why Solomon tells us in the first part of verse 10, those who love money will never have enough. Let me say that again. Those who love money will never have money enough. Now listen, we can love money and have a little bit of it. And we can love money and have a lot of it. You see, the issue isn't how much money we have or we don't have. The issue is our heart. You see, if our heart is selfish and greedy and sinful, we are always going to look at what we have and think that we need a little bit more. Nelson Rockefeller died in 1939, and he was the richest man of his day. But listen, when you use inflation 
He wasn't just the richest man of his day. He was the richest man of the modern era. More, he had more wealth than, than Jeff Bezos. He had more wealth than Elon Musk. More wealth than any man alive today. Adjusted for inflation, his net worth would have been between 350 and 400 billion dollars. That's a lot of money. During his day, he accounted for 1% of the U.S. economy. 1%. He owned 90% of all the oil and the gas industries in the world at his time. 90%. I mean, this guy had a lot. And he was asked one day, how much money is enough? You know what his answer was? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. 350 to 400 billion dollars. What can you do with that much money? I guess build a rocket and go to space. I don't know. But, but he had that much money and he said, I need a little bit more. That's how it is. Regardless of our paycheck, regardless of our bank account, regardless of our retirement fund. You see, our yearning for more will always exceed our earning. That's how it is with our sinful flesh. That's why Paul said to Timothy, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now hear me. Paul never said that money was evil. Money is an inanimate object. It's neither good nor bad. Money can be used to accomplish great good. Money can be used to do terrible things. Money is neither good nor bad. But when you love money, it can cause you to do all kinds of evil things. Someone said it this way. The most dangerous love affair a man or woman can ever experience is a love affair with money. Don't fall into the trap that I need just a little bit more. Because you're never going to get there. You're going to always want just a little bit more. The third truth Solomon tells us is this. Money will never bring you real happiness. Now we think it will. And the reason we believe that money will bring us happiness is because we believe that if we have more money, then we will be able to buy, we'll be able to purchase those things that will be the source of our happiness. Now a lot has been said over the years about money and about the pursuit of money. Louis Armstrong, the famous jazz musician, said money can't buy you happiness but it showed us quite the nerves. Lloyd Benson, the former Secretary of Treasury, once said, money is not the key to life, but if you've got it, you can make a key. Oscar Wilde said, when I was young, I thought that money was the most important thing in life. Now that I'm old, I know it is. You see, too many people today have bought into that lie. That somehow, some way, if I have more money, then I'm really going to find happiness that my happiness is at that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow so we work hard we give ourselves to making more money but we make more money we have more things and we're still searching for happiness we may be able to go on more elaborate vacations we may be able to live in nicer homes we may be able to eat at fancier restaurants but the thing we're looking for happiness will still be out of our reach. 
That's why Solomon says in the last part of verse 10, how meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Now understand, the person who wrote this, he didn't have a net worth in the billions. Uh, Historians estimate that his net worth was $2 trillion. That's a two with 12 zeros. Many people say that he is the wealthiest man to ever live. Here's what I know. You'll never be able to spend $2 trillion. You can do anything and everything you want to do and a whole lot of things that you don't want to do with $2 trillion. And yet Solomon had all this money and he said, trust me, you're not going to find happiness in your money. Now if you don't believe Solomon... I want you to listen to a study from Princeton University, 2010. They did a study to try to correlate household income with happiness. And you know what they found? They found that money does make you happier up until your basic needs are met. In other words, what they discovered is if you don't have enough money to have a place to live, if you don't have enough money to buy food, if you don't have enough money to buy clothes, then having more money is going to make you happier. But it went on to say that once your basic needs are met, having more money never produced more happiness. Another study about the same time discovered that actually once your basic living expenses are taken care of, more money actually takes away from your happiness. Because it causes you to look at the illusions of things that you think will bring happiness rather than those things that really bring happiness. And I'm afraid that most Americans and most American Christians have bought into this lie. Solomon said, take it from me. You can have all the money in the world and it's not going to make you happy. The fourth truth. When you have it, everyone wants it. Look at me. When you have some money, everyone wants your money. If you don't believe me, then watch the documentaries of those people who have won gigantic lotteries. Listen to their stories. If you don't believe me, watch these wealthy athletes and look at all of the people who are following them around so that they can get their cut. They have their agents, their managers, their publicists, their attorneys, their bodyguards, and on and on and on. Everybody has their hand out asking for their cut, their piece of the pie. That's why Solomon said this, the more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. Can I get a witness? The more you have, the more people that are going to come around to help you spend what you have. So what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through Your fingers. When Joe Lewis was the heavyweight boxing champion of the world, he helped literally hundreds of people who were less fortunate than himself. There were were hundreds of people he looked after, and those people loved him and idolized him as long as he had money. But when Joe Lewis lost his belt, when he lost his money, when he lost his health, No one was there. And history tells us that Joe Lewis died a lonely man. It was someone who shared his wealth with everybody. 
And they idolized him. They loved him. Or did they? Did they really love the things that he could provide for them? Trust me. If you're one of the few that have a whole lot, most of the people that are around you, they're schmoozing up to you. They're not doing that because they love you. They're doing that because they want a piece of you. They're wanting a piece of what you have. That's what Solomon tells us. Here's the fifth truth. The more we have, the more we worry. The more we have, the more we worry. You see, we've come to believe that if we have more money, we're not going to worry because the problems will be solved. Our needs will be met. Everything that is robbing us of peace, everything that is causing us to worry will be a part of our past because money can take care of those things. But Solomon observes something very different. Listen to what he says in verse 12. People who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much. In other words, whether they have a, a lot or they have a little. But the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. Now, now he says it different in another translation. Listen to this translation. Those who work hard sleep in peace. It's not important if they eat little or much, but rich people worry about their wealth and cannot sleep. What Solomon is saying here is we work hard, we climb the corporate ladder, we put in overtime, we do all of these things, but we get where we want to get, and all of a sudden we're worried. We're worried because we're afraid that we're going to lose it. We're worried because we've got all of this stress on us that has allowed us to make what we make. If you don't believe me, let's go back in time to 2007. Remember 2007, 8, 9? We call it the Great Recession. I mean, it, it wasn't good for some people. But here's what I discovered during this Great Recession. It wasn't the poor. It wasn't those with moderate incomes who were concerned about the Great Recession. It was those who had stuff. It was those who had a generous portfolio. Those were the people who were concerned. Those were the people who were worried because all of a sudden their 401ks dropped to half of what it was. Many of these people who had these high corporate jobs lost their money because of downsizing. You see, more money doesn't mean more peace. Oftentimes it means more Worry. Here's the sixth truth that Solomon gives us. When you, what you have today can disappear tomorrow. We have this idea that if we save a lot, the, we're better prepared for the future. And that's true. And the Bible teaches us over and over in Scripture that it is wise, it is prudent to save for the future. There's lots of benefits in savings. And if you're here today and you're not saving, you're not preparing for the future, let me encourage you to start. You may say, Jesus is coming. I don't need to prepare for when I get old and can't work. Well, can I tell you that there have been people of every generation before you who thought the same thing? So I would say, hey, get ready. Jesus is coming. But you need to be prepared in case he doesn't come yet. Okay? But what you need to understand is the treasures 
that it takes us a lifetime to amass can disappear in the blink of an eye. They can be gone overnight. And that's what Solomon says in verses 13 and 14. He says, there is another serious problem I have seen under the sun. Hoarding riches harms the saver. Money is put into risky investments that turn sour and everything is lost. In the end, there is nothing left to pass on to one's children. One bad investment, one economic downturn, one medical calamity, and everything that we've heard worked hard to save is gone. Life's treasures, whatever they are, will disappear. They'll be eaten away by inflation, by depreciation, by recessions, by depressions, and a host of other things. Don't put your hope in a 401k. Don't put your hope in your IRA or your stocks because they aren't going to give you what you're looking for. I was talking about a year, year and a half ago to a godly member of our church, someone who loves Jesus, someone who isn't concerned with money. They're retired, and we were conversing about several different things, and, and they said to me this, well, my 401k is is finally back to where it was in 2007. I went, what? He said, my 401k is finally back to where it was in 2007. It, it took over 12 years for the money that was lost overnight to come back. You spend a lifetime amassing the money in, in a single dip of the stock market. And a single crash disappears. What you have today, it can be gone tomorrow. And finally, you can't take it with you. I'm sure you've heard people say, I've never seen a U-Haul following a hearse. Well, there's a country song called Trailer Hitch. And in that song, the chorus says this, never seen a hearse with a trailer hitch. Have you? Never seen a hearse with a trailer hitch. And you know what else I've never seen? I've never seen a grave with a garage built next to it. Never seen it. You can't take it with you. And that's what Solomon says in verse 15. He says, we all come to the end of our lives as naked and naked. <laughs> uh, I'm not going there. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. And then he says this. We can't take our riches with us. Can't take them with you. So Solomon, who has all the money he could possibly want, says money will never make you happy. Once you start going after money, you're going to always want a little bit more, and it's never going to fulfill you. Money's not going to bring you peace. As a matter of fact, rather than bringing you peace, it's going to rob you of peace. And money will not guarantee you a better future because in a moment, in the blink of an eye, everything you worked a lifetime to save could be gone. And by the way, you could be gone too. So Solomon says, don't buy into the lie. Don't buy into the myth. Don't think that having more, acquiring more, accumulating more is going to make you happy because it won't. So what do we do? Well, Solomon gives us three things. He says, first, we need to recognize that everything we have is a gift from God. Everything. You're not a self-made man. You're not a self-made woman. 
Every gift, every ability you have was given to you by God. Every opportunity you've ever been given was given to you by God. Everything you hold in your hands is a gift from God. And he could take it in an instant if he wanted to. I read a story about a a reporter who went to interview a successful entrepreneur. And the reporter asked, how did you do it? How did you get all your money? And the man said, well, I'm glad you asked. It's It's a wonderful story. He said, when my wife and I got married, we had a roof over our head. We had some food in the pantry. And we had five cents in between us. So I took that five cents, I went to the grocery store, I bought an apple, I shined up that apple, and I sold it for 10 cents. The reporter said, well, that's amazing, what did you do next? He said, well, I, I took that 10 cents, I went back to the grocery store, and I bought two apples, I shined them up, and I sold them for 20 cents. The reporter began to think, I'm on to something here, this is going to be a really neat story. So the reporter said, well, okay, keep going, what happened next? He said, well, next, my father-in-law died, and he left us $20 million. (laughs) You see, this entrepreneur had deceived himself into thinking he had done something when in reality he had received something. And that's what you need to understand about everything you have. You've received it from the good hand of God. Listen to what Solomon says in verses 18 and 19. He says, even so, I've noticed one thing, at least, that is good. It is good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given them and to accept their lot in life. And it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it, to enjoy your work and accept your lot in life. This is indeed a gift from God. Solomon says your life is a gift could be taken at any moment. Enjoy it. Your wealth is a gift from God. So enjoy it. He said, recognize it's a gift. Be thankful and enjoy what you have. Live with a thankful heart for what you have. Now I'm sure there are some of you here in this room who are looking around and you're seeing some people in this room who you think are better off than you. And you're going, well, that's not all that fair. I'm not going to be thankful. Those people have more than me. Well, you don't know what's come with what they have. And you don't know how joyful they are. And I'm here to tell you that if you can't be thankful, I want you to look me in the eyes. If you can't be thankful when you have a little that is a gift from God, then God Almighty is never going to put in your hands a lot so that you can be thankful because he knows you're not going to be able to handle it. Be thankful because everything you have is a gift from God. The second thing he tells us is to be content. Listen to what he says in chapter 6, verse 9. He says, enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless like chasing the wind. Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. That's contentment. You enjoy what you have rather than always looking ahead and dreaming of what someone else has. You enjoy what God has blessed you with because tomorrow you may not be here. 
The Apostle Paul said it this way in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He said, godliness with contentment is great gain. Did you notice what he said? Godliness. Godliness plus contentment will bring you great gain. When you're godly, you're pursuing God with all your heart. And you're content. And I believe contentment always flows out of godliness. Then Paul says there will be great gain in your life. Be content with what you have. And then finally, be generous. I'm going to jump to chapter 11, verse 1 here. We're going to go back and we're going to look at the other chapters next week. But I want you to listen to what Paul says here in chapter 11, verse 1. He says, give generously for your gifts will return to you later. Did you hear that? I mean, that's an incredible promise to us. Give generously and your gifts will return to you later. What Solomon is saying is, when you live a life of generosity... It's going to come back to you. I've always said you can't outgive God. I'm here to tell you, you can dislike this, you can disagree with me. But that's my family's testimony. You can't outgive God. When you have hardly nothing, And you're faithful and generous with the little you have. And you don't stop. You don't whine. You thank God and see it as a gift and you're content. What I've discovered. This is just my story. What I've discovered. Is God puts more. And more. And more in your hands. Not. So that you'll be healthy and wealthy. It's not that you give God a hundred and he's going to give you a thousand. It's just that when you live a life of thankfulness, recognizing everything's a gift. When you're content with what you have, you're generous with the little that you have. God says, I can trust him. I can trust her. I'm going to give them more. Because of their heart. And our generosity is is pointed in two directions. It's pointed to God and and it's pointed to others. Solomon said this in, in Proverbs 3. He said, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. In other words, give God your first and your best. You don't give God your leftovers. You don't give God what should be his after You balance the checkbook after you take everything else out that you want and then say, okay, God, you can have this. No, you give God your first. You give him your best. You're honoring him because he is worthy of honor. When you do that, he'll bless you. And then you give to others. Proverbs 22, it says, blessed are those who are generous because they feed the poor. In our generosity, we not only give to God through our church and through other missions and ministries if we desire to do that. We give to other people in need. And and certainly we need discernment in this area because there are all kinds of people that are going to 
approach you in a parking lot. There are going to be people on the street. There are going to be people who call you. There are going to be people who email you saying, I've got a need. Woe is me. And you have to use discernment. But I'm here to tell you, God created us in such a way that when we come to know him because he is a giving God and he has blessed us with his love and his generosity, he wants us to reach out and and help others who are in need or other people who who need a blessing. Now, let me just be very transparent for a moment, if I may. When Sharon and I got married, I just graduated from college. I was in my second year of graduate school. I was pastoring a little tiny church in the country, and, and we were dirt poor. But we were faithful. We were generous. Somehow we made it. We got by. But we didn't just get by. We were blessed on that little bit. And over the years, God has saw fit. Not because of anything in my life or anything in my wife's life. We're nothing. God has saw fit to bless us and put more and more in our hands. And we could use everything we've got just to squander it on our desires. And, and trust me, we enjoy life. The Bible says that we enjoy the things that God has given us. We've always sought to be generous. And, and this past year, my wife and I were able to give more money to our church than when we first got married we ever thought we would even make in a year. And, and I don't say that to brag. Please hear me. It's nothing we've done. But it's like God said, I'm going to bless you because I'm going to trust you. And we've used it to bless others. Big ways at times and in other ways, small ways at times. This past Sunday, we were coming home from Virginia and we stopped at a Cracker Barrel. That's where old people eat when they travel. And, and there was this table of, of seven state troopers there in the corner. And I just felt the desire to bless them. I mean, because goodness gracious, they put their lives on the line every single day so that we can be safe. And so I told my waitress, hey, give me their bill. And she wasn't the waitress, so she went to the waitress of them. And unfortunately, that waitress had already put the checks on their table. And so she went to their table, got their checks, and then brought them to our table. I mean, real indiscreet. You know, you kind of want to do something behind the curtain, and you can't do it. But why did we do that? Did we do it because we wanted to be honored? No. We wanted to bless somebody because we've been blessed. And I'm here to tell you, God could take everything materially away that we have tomorrow. We'll still be generous because he's changed our hearts. He's made us into that kind of people. When you know him, you're going to be thankful. You're going to see it all as a gift. You're going to be content with what you have, enjoying it, but content 
And when God puts things in your hands, you're going to be generous with what you have. When you do, <laughs> oh goodness, you'll be blessed. You see, money is not going to bring you happiness. It never will. It wasn't intended to. Only God can do that. So if you're searching for the pot at the end of the rainbow, stop it. Stop it. You're going to be miserable all your life. Your happiness is found in the Lord. Only Him. And so if you don't know Him, if your heart hasn't been changed, if you don't have a desire to live in obedience to Him, then I beg you, I plead with you, humble yourself before Him today. Acknowledge your self-centeredness. Surrender your life to Him. And let His Holy Spirit fill you and change you and discover what God created you for. If that's already happened to you, then by all means, be thankful. You got to be content. That's got to be burning in your heart. And when God blesses you, however big or however small, be generous. Because that's what God created us to do. Come bow your head. Close your eyes. And I just want to give you a chance. If you're here, just say, Rocky, I, I've never been saved. My heart's never been changed. I've prayed a prayer, not once, probably multiple times. I've been dunked. I come to church, but I know deep inside, my heart has never been changed. I try to follow the rules. I try to live a good life, but inside, I've never been changed. If that's you, man, my heart breaks for you. Oh, it does. Because God wants to change you. He wants to make you new. When he does, it will change everything, even about money. So if you haven't been changed and you're saying, I want to be, then I encourage you to humble yourself before God and pray this prayer right now. Dear God, been living life my way. It hasn't given me what I'm looking for. I'm so sorry. I know you love me. Jesus, I know you died on the cross for my sins. I know you rose from the grave to defeat sin and death for me. And yet, I've never truly surrendered to you. I believe my head, but I've never surrendered my heart. Today, I'm doing that. I'm surrendering, giving you control. Come into my heart, take control of my life, make me brand new. Change me from the inside out. I'm trusting you to do that, Jesus. Thank you for hearing that prayer. Amen.